On today's episode of Locked On Suns, what is one advantage the Suns have over each team they will need to beat out to win the Western Conference? We're breaking it all down in depth, one by one. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen to start your week. Happy Monday. We're free and available everywhere if this is your first time finding us, including YouTube. So just search Locked On Suns on your favorite podcast app, as well as YouTube. Hit follow or subscribe. Get us in your feed Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the next couple weeks. Back to daily when September hits to get you locked on to the Phoenix Suns each and every day. So become an everydayer. Join the nearly 6,000 on YouTube and many more on audio as we get closer to the season. Brandon Duenas is joining us as he does every single Monday. We have changed, well, I have changed my hat so we do not met, match both our names and our hats because that would have just been too much and you guys would have all uh, filleted us in the comments. So uh, now that that is done, we are here to talk Suns and we're here to break down the ways that they stack up against every other team in the West, specifically from the Suns perspective, what is their advantage over that team? So the Nuggets, the Warriors, the Lakers, not just are they better or not, but what is the thing that they have as an advantage? And so we'll start with the Denver Nuggets and I will give the floor to you, Brandon. What is the advantage that you think Phoenix has over the team that just eliminated them a few months back? Well, for me, it starts with their defensive personnel in terms of being able to shut down the Suns firepower. We saw last uh, postseason, no one could guard Devin Booker on that team. Uh, Bruce Brown really tried and it just, it didn't really work out for them. So I think to me, that's uh, losing him in some of the depth that they lost uh, overall, I think, when you just look top to bottom they're at their defense, like just the Suns' individual scoring just really stands out. To me, that's that's their their biggest advantage they have over Denver. And uh, it was evident in those two games they won. And now that they have better floor spacing around uh, those creators and they added another uh, shot creator in Beal, like it, to me it just feels like offensively their, their firepower just is at a different level that I just don't think Denver's defense can handle. Um, but that's just looking at that side of the equation. Yeah, so basically it's really the advantage would be the Suns' shot creation, right? Is that kind of the most succinct way to put it? Yes, to, to put it a little uh, more clear. No, no, a, I, I think I, it, it kind yeah. of all is interconnected. It's impossible to be like this one thing. I just wanted to make sure I'm getting it right because that's exact, yeah. that was where I wanted to go, but I was really thinking through it and I'm like I just have a hard time saying that any team has that advantage over Nikola Jokic like it's just it I just trust that dude to get a great shot every possession that he's on the court and come playoff time which is really what we're talking about here he's going to be on the court a lot and so it was it was difficult for me to say that I think one of the things you mentioned though is where my head went which is shooting uh, I also thought about depth, 
but I think both teams are a little bit of a question mark when it comes to depth. You might feel a little more optimistic about the Suns, which I think is fair because they have more options and more proven options. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone can say like absolutely like Kata Bates-Diop is going to be awesome any more than you can say Peyton Watson's going to be awesome, really, at the end of the day. So anyway, to get to what I actually have here is shooting. And I think that this is kind of an underestimated or I guess overestimated part of Denver's team. I think Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and I guess you would say Jokic are like knockdown shooters, but they don't take a ton of threes and they were top. They were at the top of the NBA in three point accuracy in the playoffs, but not by a lot. And they were only about a point and a half percentage wise ahead of the Suns, um, who were like fourth or fifth. And frequency wise, again, they're 15th in the playoffs and middle of the pack in the regular season. So I think that's another way that you could see the Suns start to at least like keep up better with the Nuggets as a starting point and potentially have some games in the playoffs where the the randomness just goes their way. Um, I know we're spending a lot of time on Denver, but I think they're the most important one. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just think like the bench for Denver, I don't know who's going to be a knockdown shooter there. And, you know, their starting lineup, yes, but Jokic doesn't take a lot and Gordon isn't a great shooter either. So I think the Suns pound for pound will have that advantage. Yeah, especially when you look at the offseason that Phoenix had and adding a ton of corner shooters that can that are knockdown shooters and can really help space the floor. Um, and, and adding Beal and, uh, to, to Booker and Durant, it just gives you so many different op, uh, options and combinations you can throw out there that Denver just – that's where I just think they have that distinct advantage that Denver can't keep up with defensively. Offensively, I think Denver can take as many swings in, as Phoenix can, it's, but I think Phoenix's personnel defensively has – a little bit of a higher upside just due to uh, their personnel. And uh, that, that's kind of the differentiating factor for me. Like, I still think these are the two heavyweights in the West. Like, it's probably, you know, all things considered, it's probably going to end up being the Western Conference Finals uh, matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to get into seedings and all that sure. and matchups, and it comes down to that. But, but yeah. yeah, to me, uh, just offensive firepower is this, the separator for Phoenix. Top two odds to win the conference by a long mile uh, at FanDuel. And uh, last thing, I think maybe I, I actually might even feel stronger about this one, but I uh, wasn't thinking through it deeply enough until now. I would say rim protection for sure. The Suns have Aiton and Durant, and the Nuggets have pretty much nobody who's really a traditional rim protector. Gordon has a lot of strengths as a defender, but I don't think you know, blocking shots from the weak side is his best trait or what they ask him to do that much. As we saw two years ago when these teams matched up and, and Gordon was overmatched having to be such a helper. So uh, that that one is probably uh, going to rear its head as well. But let's go to the Warriors and we'll try to do the Lakers in this segment as well. We can start to go a little faster as uh, we're done with Denver, who we, we agree is is the number one competition so what did you have for the golden state warriors what are, what are the suns better at than them that will matter the most so this one is kind of it was tough to boil it down to one uh, but i i just went with size I, I think the across the board the some of the lineups the suns could throw out there like they're, they're not sacrificing too much versatility when they throw out these big lineups where that can definitely create some issues for the warriors and you look at Chris Paul being added to that rotation with with Steph and Clay and 
Draymond playing those small ball minutes. Like I feel like the Suns have some great counters that they could throw mm-hmm. at the Warriors to really disrupt them uh, with some small ball lineups and uh, even just going. And when I say small ball, I mean their their lineups are still going to be much larger than the Warriors' small ball lineup. So you can counter them without sacrificing size. So that 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 to me is like the main advantage I would give to to Phoenix or the Warriors at the moment. Yeah, I think there's still going to be a lot that comes down to in that matchup whether whether the Warriors switch if Aiton is the screener and then can the Suns take advantage of that. But I think that uh, in a lot of cases, the Suns are more equipped to take advantage of that, even if it's not Aiton on a seal, because who's guarding Durant? If, you know, I guess if it's like a Durant Aiton pick and roll, probably Wiggins and Draymond are guarding that. Maybe you feel good. But what if it's a, you know, what if it's a Booker Aiton pick and roll and then you're switching you know, a small guy onto Aiton and then, you know, who's guard, like it just, that, that, that ripple effect will be big. And I think that's where size will really matter. I think the Suns can stay big and still beat them. And that's really big. Um, the one for me, and I might, I'm going to try not to say this too much, but it's just shot creation. I think the one reason I'm really down on Golden State this year after the Chris Paul trade is as, as, as rough as Jordan Poole was defensively and as a decision maker, he was really the only other player now that Clay is, is a worse version of himself who could consistently create a shot for himself and honestly even for other players, although I do think Chris Paul can do a little bit of that. Um, maybe Wiggins continues where he left off in the finals a year and a half ago, but if not, it's a lot on Steph, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up scoring in the one you know 10s, 120s on a nightly basis in, in a postseason type of matchup. They beat the teams that they beat last year in the playoffs because they were able to grind those games down. I don't know if they can do that against Phoenix. Um, let's do the Lakers real quick. We have a minute or two. Um, to me, it's just... I don't. I just don't believe in the Lakers, and I don't fully have like a, a great way of putting it. I don't want to do the health thing because that's, that's kind of boring. Um, I guess I would just say balance... Like, I, I think that I, again, worry about the Lakers' offense, but I just think that part of what troubles me about their team is I don't know if they have enough two-way lineups with offense and defense that don't just rely on their stars to be awesome on both ends, which does get you back to the health thing. So that would be mine. I guess balance would be the way to put it. Like, are they able to put out 48 minutes of great two-way lineups, the Lakers? And I don't feel great about the answer being yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. For them, um, I only chose one team doing availability was my answer, and that was the other LA team, the Clippers. So, um, But I switched that one just so it wouldn't be health predicated. Um, But Lakers, I think just the matchup counters, kind of like you alluded to, like they just don't really have – they kind of have that one identity and then they're kind of limited and like, they're so reliant on LeBron and Davis. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's more like just getting those two, uh, can they withstand that long season workload and, uh, what kind of lineups can they throw out to, to match what Phoenix can do with their versatility like that? That to me is like the key separator between these two teams. And, uh, we'll see. I'm with you. I'm not really a big believer in the Lakers. Like I think they will be a playoff team. Um, I don't think they were, they're as good as uh, a lot of people thought last year in terms of like the run they had. I think they got some some decent matchups and some things went their way. And I think Reeves is legit. Like I think he's a yeah. good player, but that hype's also kind of getting a little bit out of control. So uh, I, yeah, it's just kind of the, the Laker hype. Like I think they're a good team that they'll present some challenges, but it really just depends on LeBron and he's getting up there in age. 
Yeah, I actually think the I, I think Reeves is pretty legit, and I think he could take another step up this year and be somewhat of a counter that that allows them to feel better over the course of a game and not have to rely on LeBron. I think if guys like him and Vanderbilt get better and Rui's breakout was real, like you're getting closer to having like seven, eight really good two-way players, but it just yeah. feels like we saw two months of it. And I, I guess I just want to see more. Um, all right, let's get yeah. to... Well, let me ask you this real yeah. quick. Do you trust the Lakers or Warriors more at this point? Uh, I probably feel similarly. I think they're just two teams that need some things to break right for their offenses in particular mm-hmm. to, to be what you need them to be. And they're old. So I would kind of have yeah. them neck and neck, like behind, as a, as a second tier behind the Lakers, behind the Suns and nuggets, I guess. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Pretty much. I think the Lakers, I'd, it, I'm shocked to even say this out loud, but I'd probably put them slightly above the Warriors at this point. Um, was not a big fan of what Golden State did this offseason. Well, at least they have two star players, and Warriors really only have one. So I guess when you think about it that yep. way, maybe that's enough. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think I think Wiggins and Reeves are obviously kind of the big inflection point X factor guys in terms of which of those teams ends up having a higher ceiling. Let's move on to the Clippers, Grizzlies, Kings, some of those middle of the pack teams from last year, and see what the Suns can do to beat them after a word from FanDuel. We've already been using the FanDuel odds here on the Western Conference, but you can get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 back in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So get comfortable with your routine, putting a little money here, a little money there on Sundays. Lock yourself into a very good deal for watching those games on Sundays, hopefully seeing your bets cash live. That's uh, really the best feeling. Now's the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, we're keeping it rolling. We're going to let's do the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's let's stay away from the Clippers. I actually just hate talking about that team. So um, Memphis, I think half court offense, which is kind of a cheat. It feels very similar to saying shot creation, but I think Memphis just needs to prove to me that they can beat a great offensive team in the playoffs before I believe that they can do it. I think Jaron getting better would go a long way to help them do that. Maybe some of their young players developing as shooters, especially. But uh, right now, I just think they're going to keep running into that same issue of unless they're winning games in the low hundreds and winning the turnover battle, winning the transition battle, all that stuff that has to go right. I just think the idea of them beating the Suns is questionable. I just don't think that they have the firepower. Yeah, I'm with you there, and and I am pretty high on the Grizzlies this year in general. But I do think the the shot creation is my answer for them. It's it's pretty simple. Like the Suns have three guys you can just toss the ball and say, "Go get me a bucket," and they can do it from pretty much any part of the court. Uh, whereas the Grizzlies have one of those guys, and a lot of his stuff is downhill, so it's a little bit easier to game plan for. I think. Um, and by easy, I mean he's still going to dunk on you, but I mean you know what's coming. You know how to 
plan for it. Yeah. Um, and I think they have some great role players that uh, some great shooters as well, guys like Bain and, and Jaron Jackson, but they're not really in that same like mold where you can just throw them the ball and they're going to go get you a bucket. So I think mm-hmm. the Suns have that clear advantage over them uh, defensively. It's a different story. Like they're, they're a tough team and they're, I think they're going to surprise. I shouldn't say surprise, but I think this could be the year that they kind of solidify themselves at the, the top of the West. So I think that I'll just say the Jaron KD matchup, if, if they were to play in a postseason series would be ridiculously fun. Um, and, yep. and then smart on Booker most likely, or exactly or whoever, but there's, there's some fun matchup for sure. But I will say I have listed the Grizzlies already in the past as a team that, worries me from a little bit of a different standpoint just in that who guards jaw uh, on the suns and and not just that simple like okay who are you putting on him but the ripple effect of if you don't if you have a little bit of a squeaky wheel defensively there then is Aiton equipped to be the kind of garbage man at the rim we don't feel great about that so you're starting to have some compounding problems there and then if you have to put somebody in like a kogi for instance who you feel better about it as a defender or Jordan Goodwin, well, then your offense isn't quite as good and that advantage starts to go away. So that's obviously what makes the Grizzlies good. They're not a bad team, but you know, I just think on the course of a seven-game series, that's where things would go. Let's go to the Sacramento Kings. They were number oh, yeah. three in the West last year, and I think it's an open question whether they can repeat what they did. Uh, to me, there's not a lot of teams I will say this confidently about, but to me, the advantage is defense. The Suns might not have an amazing defense, but I think that they will have a better defense than you know a team that is playing Sabonis, Herder, Monk, Fox a bunch of minutes each. Uh, I think that one I feel comfortable with. Yeah, no, we, we got the same answer there, and I, I kind of labeled it a little bit differently and just put two-way potential. Like I think obviously they have the, the offense and just the personnel defensively. Just they pretty much have no shot at stopping the Suns. Uh, they just don't have that personnel right now, like anywhere. It's it's nowhere to be found. So I think it, it would be a shootout. Like the Kings could keep up with anyone offensively, similar with like what I said about the Nuggets. Like those are two offenses that I think uh, could definitely cause some problems for, for the Suns defensively because it's not like the Suns are some juggernaut defensively. But when you have Vogel and you have, you know, DeAndre anchoring and we've seen what he can do and Durant, Booker, like you, you have a little bit more of a – defensive upside than the Kings do. So that's that to me is a pretty clear answer. Yeah, Sacramento's defensive upside, unfortunately for them, is non-existent. They don't have any. There's no defensive upside. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pessimistic. I think that they're a good regular season team. I think a team built around that duo at its core, despite, you know, I it sucks to have the reality set in so fast after a bunch of years of not being great, but it is what it is. Um, all right, let's go to the Clippers and... I guess to me, the best way to put this might be, well, I'll say youth, actually. And that's another one I wouldn't say about a lot uh, of, uh, of opponents, but it's not even just about Kawhi and Paul George, who are roughly the same age as like Beal and, and KD. But I just think that the, the, the byproduct of the Clippers not being able to win it the past few years is that their role players are old older now too right Batum this will be his last season he's already said that Marcus Morris is might just you know be on the downside of his career at this point Robert Covington couldn't even crack the rotation they do have some younger players but there's not like the obvious guy who you look at and say oh he'll take a step forward Um, I think Terrence Mann might just sort of be what he is that's a really good player and they should play him more but okay you know what is that really going to look like 
So Norm Powell, kind of the same with the group from, you know, Morris and Batum. Just we know what Norm Powell is. So I just don't see a lot of upside. And you're talking about a team that obviously is going to have to deal with continued injuries to its best players. I just I don't think this team as constructed has like a championship in it unless they both just find the fountain of youth. Yeah, I'm with you there. And and I think Ty Lue is a phenomenal coach, but there's only so much you can do when your rotations are so unpredictable and changing every every week. Um, and that goes to your point about the upside. Like, I just think that and their just the lack of availability for their stars like will lead to just no continuity heading in the playoffs. And like, even though that Kawhi and Paul George have been teammates for, for years now, it's they still don't really know how to play with one another when it comes to you know, set rotations and th- their team just looks completely different. Like one night they look like a championship team. The next they just look like they're falling apart. And that's with those guys in the lineup at times. So that's, yeah. that to me is why, like, they, I just don't think they, like, like you said, they don't really have that, that DNA unless by some miracle, both these guys play 65 plus games this year mm-hmm. and, and really find a groove. Like they're definitely, they set, they have that upside in terms of if they stay healthy, but in terms of what we've seen from them and what we should expect, like, I just don't, I just don't buy it anymore. Yeah, I guess I should correct. It sounds like yours is kind of like continuity. Um, I, I should correct yeah. mine a little bit. I think, you know, they have Bones Highland and, and KJ Martin. I liked both of those acquisitions. You could see a world in which those guys continue to get better, especially KJ Martin in a, in a better environment. I think he's the type of player that can excel on a good team much more than a bad team. And honestly, he excelled plenty on a bad team already but even yeah I guess just to me like even if you say Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are all NBA type guys I don't even think you can get to eight players you feel great about on this team to form a real rotation you know we haven't even mentioned Russ I guess Mason Plumley, but he's your backup um it's just hard for me to even know I like Paul George Kawhi Leonard Norm Powell Ivica Zubats Terrence Mann I feel good about those guys that's did I did I say six five six guys you know, and then let's say KJ Martin. Okay, now I'm to seven, but that's not a lot, you know, so we'll see. Um, all right, let's go to the next segment. We're going to talk about the Wolves, Pelicans, Thunder, and Mavs. Mavs, maybe we should have done earlier, bring a little more drama, but stay tuned. We'll list the Suns' advantage over each of those bottom dwellers in the West after a quick break. All right, coming back, let's do the Mavs now. Brandon, what do you think the Suns' advantage over the Dallas Mavericks looks like right now? Right now, I'd have to just say offensive balance. Like, I think, uh, especially when you get into, like, the whole Kyrie just being unpredictable, you don't know if he's – what's going to happen with him every day. And uh, I think you factor that in with him and Luka pretty much probably going to be accounting for 90% of the offense when they're in a game together. Like, it's just going to be – and, and by that, I mean either taking the shot or creating it. Like, there's just not going to be a lot of room for for anyone else to do much other than spot up or, or cut. So, mm-hmm. to me, like, that, that's one area where I think the Suns, uh, is, yes, they have a, a big three, quote-unquote, but they, I think they have a lot of pieces that they can mix and match and, and really get the ball moving in, in certain lineups. And that's that's where I think just offensive balance across the board is is the Suns' advantage there. And, and you know, with how ball-dominant Luka is, like uh, – it's just tough for the Mavs offense, I think, to to match what the Suns' potential is when it comes to entering this season. Yeah, I think the thing, I, I don't like watching the way that Luka has, has turned into as a player. I, I'm not fully convinced that he's going to, playing this way, be the type of player that makes 
his teammates better, but maybe none of that matters because I think the flip side of that is that he has shown, as in, you know, the second round series a couple years ago, that the byproduct of playing the way that he does is you're, he's going to control the way that the game is played in every game that he plays. Uh, you can watch the World Cup and see. He's, dude scored 37 points. It's hard to even get that many points in these FIBA games, but he is just, it's all going to be the way he wants it to from a pace standpoint, from a micromanaging of that person's going to be the one to shoot this time standpoint foul trouble all those things are, are going to run through him and I think that he's good enough that that happens in the NBA too but I'm actually pretty high on Dallas this year I would go over their 44 and a half they're tied with um, the Grizzlies at plus 1200 to win the West that feels right I might put them uh, at least the Clippers back in that group or maybe put both of those teams above the Clippers who are at plus 1000 right now on FanDuel but uh, basically agree with the general placement. And I honestly go to shooting on this one too. I think that's kind of the one weakness of this construction of, of Dallas's team. You know, Luca and Kyrie, well, Luca's not a great shooter, but he can create good shots for teammates. I don't think Tim Hardaway Jr. will play or should play too, too much. But besides that, you know, I don't think Seth Curry will play a lot either. And so you're talking about, can Jaden Hardy become a consistently good shooter on a great team? Josh Green, Grant Williams, those guys are good or have been had have had great stretches as shooters, but are they going to be guys who can do that on a nightly basis? I'm not so sure. And then, you know, Exum and uh, players like that don't really shoot it much at all if, if they play and Dwight Powell and the rest. So I think Dallas is going to be pretty good this year, but I think that is one area, as we talked about with Denver, where the Suns should have a clear advantage and maybe be able to inch out more high upside as an offense, even though Luka is so good. Um, all right, Minnesota Timberwolves, I will start us off here. Another team that I'm fairly high on this season, but I would just say that offensive creation is the obvious one here as well. Um, I don't have a creative way of saying it, so I guess my bro I broke my rule of, of only using that once, but um, no matter how you slice it, the Cat Gobert tandem was not great statistically last season. I just don't think this team has enough offensively with those two on the court together to keep pace with a team like Phoenix. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think it's uh, the way I phrase it is just balanced roster. Like that's the advantage I gave the Suns over the, the Timberwolves of how top heavy they are up front with those two bigs. And I think uh, individually, they're both talented players. They obviously have their faults and have had some injury struggles, especially Cat last year. But uh, I think Anthony Edwards is, is legit. He's going to be a top 10 player in, in the next couple of years. But that can only get you so far in terms of what's around him and how much spacing he's going to have and, and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, Minnesota definitely. And the, one of the issues is he's, only, he's like one of the only good spot-up shooters on this team. So – you know, I guess Jaden McDaniels yeah, is good from the corners, it. but it's like if Ant has the ball, then he he can't also be your only great shooter. Like that is a a, a real issue for them too. I think. I guess Towns is a good spot up shooter, yeah. but you don't want him to just be stationary either. Exactly. So Towns is pretty much going to have to spot up or just kind of camp out at the the top of the key if they want to have optimal spacing. And I just don't know what that looks like in terms of because we didn't really see it a ton last year, and because those guys aren't really all healthy together at the same time a ton yeah. so uh, they're definitely one of those teams i'm gonna be interested to see how they kind of mesh and, and click because they have some, they have the upside but it's more of like how's this gonna actually work i will say i disagree with you a little bit about um 
the roster overall. I actually think this is a surprisingly deep roster with some pretty legit upside. Like even if they have to take a little bit of a hit on the Towns trade, which I think is coming eventually, I really like Jaden McDaniels. I think he has potential to be like a max level player potentially at, at, in a future date. I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker looked really good in the playoffs and has looked pretty good for Canada. Guys like Leonard Miller, Josh Minot at the very back of their roster. I think the the future can still have some bright spots, but I think this year they're just there's just going to be a, a ceiling, and, and it, we've all beaten that dead horse But um, on, on what that tandem can do in the front court. Uh, all right, let's go. Let me actually let's we've been we've been doing heavy basketball talk. So let me uh, let me break it up here. You said that you did the bottom of the conference, which I did not. So I just the Suns played the Spurs twice in like the first week and a half of the year, a week of the year. What did you have as the Suns advantage over the Spurs and how mean did you get with it? I kept it pretty simple here okay. and uh to the point, just talent. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, those so guys probably would think of that as pretty mean. If you, you want to say that to Jeremy <laughs> Sohan's face, like you, that might come across a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, it's the truth. It's in like the Spurs, uh, they have campaign over there now, so I can't be a true too down on the Haboob train, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're just, uh, they're gonna have some tough time figuring some things out, but I think they kind of do have some underrated players that I do like over there, like the cell and, and Keldon, Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Wembenyama has a chance to be super special, but I just don't think they're, they're, they're going to have some games where they probably upset some teams that take them lightly, like now, now and then. Um, so if they, if the Suns happen to be one of those teams, like you can go ahead and screenshot this or record it and send it to me at a later date. But I, yeah, I just think that the talent gap is pretty, pretty huge with uh, a lot of those bottom teams in, in the West. Like, and that's, I don't want to correlate that with upside because I think those are two separate things in, in terms of, right now like yeah, NBA sure. ready talent like, translating to winning so if they had just one ball handler or like perimeter shot creator that i trusted to be consistent i would feel a lot better about them i think they made a clear choice not to pursue that type of player because i think they could have gotten one i mean you look even at what like detroit gave up to get monte morris like if the spurs just had been in on that i think they could have gotten him and i would even feel better about him than like trey jones is basically the only one and he doesn't really create for himself very much campaign. We know what he looks like. And then the rest of it, it's just young guys who are not consistent at that yet. So if they had that, I actually think I might feel like, you know, for sure hit the over, do whatever their over would probably be higher. But uh, without that, not so much. Um, all right. We're, we're not really worried about the Spurs, but just wanted to see. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans. This is another team like the Clippers where it's just kind of like, you know, womp womp talking about them because, well, yeah, health. Okay, congratulations. You've identified, you know, what it is about the Pelicans. But let's say that the Pelicans are the best version of themselves. I think that they continue to be a pretty dangerous team. Maybe my head is just clouded with the coverage of the FIBA World Cup that's going on right now and watching that team play. But I will say fit. I'm not convinced that once we, if... If we actually ever see the Ingram Zion duo on the court together, that the fit of those guys will work, and I'm I'm less optimistic about that right now, having watched Ingram in this Team USA than maybe I've ever been. But whatever, we're you know no moment like the present, so I'm gonna I'm gonna overreact. But but that's mine. I think the Sun Stars fit really well together. I think the the Pelican Stars might not fit very well at all. Yeah, that's kind of similar to what mine is for them. 
Um, I just did identity, like, because that comes down to if they're full strength, which is still a major if. Well, like, what does that team look like? Like, who who's sacrificing what? And, uh, you know, what are they bringing to the table? Like, it's, it's I think they have enough talent to where they could make it work. Like, I'm not going to rule it out by any means, but it's, it's just kind of, there's going to be a lot of adjusting roles and, and styles that might clash a little bit. So to me, I'm trying to figure that out. And like how many reps they get together in the regular season is also going to be huge. So I just don't know how many that's going to be. And if that translates to the playoffs, you know, are, are you going to be able to, like what's that half court offense going to look like? We just, we just don't know. So there's a ton of question marks there. So for me, it's just uh, boils down to that. And it's not even just them really, you know, it's like McCollum is sort of partially what they need, but I think you would like a more traditional passer and then Valanchunas, you sort of need him because Zion has never been a great rebounder like you would have hoped and you don't have really any size as the at, at your backup center, but Valanchunas clogs things up or you're asking him to just be a, a three-point guy, which isn't maximizing what he is. There's just a lot of things where they've band-aided over, okay, now our problem is this, let's get that. Now our problem is that, let's get this. And now you just have this roster where it's like, I'm not really sure what it all really is supposed to be together. And uh, it's another team that I think shooting is going to be an issue for outside of Trey Murphy. Uh, All right, let's close things out with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think uh, they're a team to me. I think we've talked about them before and you, you feel pretty great about them. I just take their indications from the outside that they're not looking at this season as like all in time, let's go, we're making the you know four seed and, and this is our year to break through the conference finals. I think that they're intentionally being pretty patient. And so I'm going to take that indicator and say timeline is the advantage that the Suns have. The Suns are all in, duh. We don't even need to say that. Uh, the Thunder, while they're frisky, while they might just have the upside to beat anybody on any given night, maybe they even win one playoff series. I'm not saying that they they don't have that in them, but I don't think that they're going to be pushing. They're going to be giving minutes to undeveloped players, raw players, over win now at all costs types of things. So that's that's where I, I look at it. I just don't think the Thunder are a team the Suns need to be really thinking about how they match up with in 2024. So yeah, I disagree there a little bit because like I said, I am pretty high on them. So I think for that same reason you just alluded to, um, I think that's what makes them so dangerous. Like they're, they're going to be a team that's has nothing to lose. They have a ton of talent and we know Shea is going to want to go out there and win. Like he's, he's had, he's been a part of some bad teams and he wants to take that leap. And I think having a guy like Chet and some of that supporting cast around them, like I think they're going to be a playoff team this year and they're going to have a chance to win a series no matter who they're playing against. I'm not saying they will, but that's just how high I'm like on them overall. But in terms of like my thing, it's kind of similar to yours is just experience. Like I think that could be the thing that having a lot of those inexperienced guys in, in crucial moments when it comes down to those clutch minutes, like that's where the, I think the Suns will have a clear advantage over a youthful team like that um, specifically. But, but I, I'm telling you that they're going to be, they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be a tough team to eliminate. It's going to be a little bit similar to that Pelicans team. I feel like from a couple of years ago, but um, mm-hmm. a little bit more, upside and more in terms of just like well, I guess I can't really say that because Chet could end up being just like Zion in terms of being a question mark but if Chet's here to stay and he's healthy like that team is the whole entire dynamic changes for them I think it'll help to have a real rim roller a real presence inside offensive rebounder defensive rebounder rim pressure person that's not just let's hope Shea drives to the basket I just think that this team is one probably one creator away and I think 
maybe even two. And I think that's why they they want to see which of those which of these guys that's going to be. And I don't think that they want to mm-hmm. overdo it, forcing that responsibility onto one of them, you know. And so whether it's some combination of Chet Gideon and and Jay Will or J Dub, I don't. I'll literally always get them mixed up. The one who went to Perry, the one who's from Arizona. If it's him or it's Chet or it's Giddy, great. Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's one. But I think that's really what this season will be out in a lot of ways. I will say Australia, Giddy taking over in that fourth quarter. Got to feel pretty good about that. Dude had like a cut dunk and then two drives to the basket where he just like took over on a team that has Ingles and Mills and uh, a whole bunch of more veteran guys. And he was like, no, this is is my game. And um, that was pretty cool to see too. I think they still lost, but that's all right. Um, Okay. That is it, I think. One question to wrap us up. We already went long. Why not? Um, This is very early, but I know it's a question I get a lot in mailbags and stuff during the season, and it's always a fun thought experiment. Who's the team? Let's assume we don't have to say the Suns get the one or two seed, which we think they will, but let's just say top four seed again, like they have the past three Mm -hmm. years. Who would you least want to face in the first round? Like who of these teams that we've talked about would be most nerve-wracking in terms of an early-round opponent like the Pelicans were in 2022 or, or whatever you want to point to? Which, which team is that for you this year? So I could just give the boring answer and just do what I just kind of talked about with the, the Thunder, yeah. which is that's probably my real answer. But I think just for the sake of a, a different angle here, mm-hmm. um, I'll say I would say the, the Clippers just because of that, just that same – thing we've been having every season with them just in terms of like if they if it actually happens like this team there's probably gonna be the range they're gonna be in again that same like bomb seat or bottom tier of the west where all of a sudden you have Kawhi Leonard who pre-injury he was tearing the Suns apart so to me that's that makes them pretty pretty dangerous and like um, not a team I'd want to face in, in round one if you know everything starts to click for them so it's just those high upside teams that mm-hmm. whether it's injury or health like it's it's just those are the teams that scare me the most Mm -hmm. yeah I think uh this is a little bit of a cheat but if Memphis does struggle a little bit in the regular season because of Jaws absence that would be uh, a potential whoever ends up kind of having to play them we know they're better than that so that would be worrisome but I do think the Timberwolves are going to be a team that which will give the Suns in particular issues, but especially I mean, they could just give any team issues, but especially the Suns. I think the Suns don't have a great answer for who to guard Ant, and if they do, it's Booker, and that's worrisome. That's not an easy thing to do, and that that restricts what you would expect Booker to be able to do offensively. Plus, you're talking about Durant having to guard Cat, or they just. I do think that they put teams in a bad spot. Um, they have their own matchup issues, but they 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 really do impose matchup problems on their opponent. Like the the thought, the theory of Cat and Gobert, it still makes sense. And you know they fought Denver pretty hard, uh, even though the numbers kind of showed that series. I think you know what Bruce Brown said versus what the stats would show are a little different. But you know the they, the reality is they still took a game from them and everything else. So uh, that would be my answer. But all right, that'll wrap us up for the day. Not sure what we'll do on Wednesday. I have one potential guest who might revisit the show. We'll have Aaron Edwards on Friday, and then we're back to daily in no time as the season preview coverage ramps up. So hit follow or subscribe. Get the show in your feed every day. Become an everydayer. Join along, and I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday.